What a good day. Man, what a good day. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20, and our scripture reading for this morning begins at verse 19, John 20, verse 19, going through verse 23. John 20, 19 through 23. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, With the doors locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Lord, we thank you for your word that tells us this true story of Christ appearing to his disciples that night. Lord, I pray that for each one of us that this story would become more real for us, that the, the implications for it in our lives would become real and applied to our hearts and to our minds and to our action. In Jesus' name, amen. So the disciples are in the upper room. It's Resurrection Sunday evening. They're all gathered together. Earlier that morning, some of the women went out to the tomb to mourn. They were expecting to see a closed tomb. They were expecting to mourn the loss of their teacher and their friend. But they got there, and the tomb was empty. And an angel told them to go and tell the disciples that the Lord is risen from the dead. And they go and they tell the disciples, and Peter and John hear about it, and they run as fast as they can to the tomb. And sure enough, the tomb is empty. And then another among them, Mary Magdalene, she actually sees Jesus, and she goes and she tells the disciples, I've seen him, the Lord is alive. We can only imagine what was going on in their heads throughout the rest of that morning and afternoon and into the evening, wondering what an empty tomb might mean, trying to figure out what was meant by Mary's words, that the Lord is alive. Was it true? Well, it's very clear at this point, as they're gathered together in the locked room, that they don't yet believe it. John tells his disciples, John tells us the disciples were confused and they were afraid. Fear was the initial response the disciples had to the empty tomb. They were wondering if the Jewish authorities would think that maybe they stole the body and now that they were going to be the ones hanging on the cross next. The empty tomb was not yet good news for them and they locked themselves in a room out of fear. But then Jesus appears to them. He just appears on the inside of a locked door. He doesn't knock. He doesn't ask to be let in. He just shows up. And when he does, he calls them to a mission. He calls them to a mission. 
And this is the, the, one of the many wonderful things about the resurrection appearances is that Jesus comes to them in their fear and confusion and he calls them to a good purpose. Notice, Jesus doesn't go to the fiercest and the bravest. He comes to these fearful, unbelieving disciples and he gives them a mission. He gives them a purpose. What a great gift that the disciples receive here. A mission and a purpose. These fearful, cowering disciples huddle, huddled away in fear. Jesus appears and he calls them to a good purpose. In John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23, this is John's version of a great commission that Jesus gives to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus says to his disciples that the Father sent me into the world for a purpose, and now I am sending you into the world in the same way. In the same manner, I am sending you as the Father sent me. As the Father sent me. I want to remind you, um, many of you weren't here last week, just of the story very briefly that we told. We've been walking through the book of Judges um, here at, at Broadway over the last three or four months. And the last story in the book of Judges is a terrible story. It's a story about a man who is a priest who, uh, he and his, his concubine, um, they're in a house and they're surrounded by a violent, angry mob. And in that story, the priest, in order to save himself, he opens the door and he pushes this woman into this violent mob. We mentioned last week that the story of Jesus the Good Friday story of Jesus is that our priest did exactly the opposite of that. He did not save himself. You and I have an enemy. He is crouching at the door waiting to devour us. And the story of Good Friday is that our priest walked through the door himself for us. He took our place. He became a servant to us and took on the violence and the weight of sin through the cross. This is a picture of the way that the Father sent him into the world. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. God sent Jesus into the world to serve. God sent Jesus into the world to suffer for us. And here in this great commission, this First resurrection appearance of the disciples, Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, in the manner that the Father sent me, I am now sending you into the world. Just as the Father sent me into the world to care for the poor, I am sending you. Just as the Father sent me into the world to care for the sick, I am sending you. As the Father sent me to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, I am sending you. Just as the Father sent me into the world to serve and to wash feet and to suffer for your neighbors, I am sending you in the same way. He came humbly. He came as a servant. He came to suffer for others. And Jesus, on this resurrection day says to them, as the Father sent me in all of these ways, in the manner that the Father sent me into the world to live and to act and to sacrifice myself for others, I now send you into the world in the same way, 
to be my ambassadors, to be my representatives, to be my body and my hands and my feet to the world. Paul said in the book of Philippians that your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing and took on the very nature of a servant. This is our attitude as we enter into the world, as the church. This is how we measure how successful we're being as the church. Not measuring our success and significance by the recognition that we get from the world. Not measuring our success by more people or more, more money or more recognition. Our success as a church is measured by how much we look like Jesus the servant. As the Father sent me to be a servant, so I send you into the world to be my hands and my feet. Jesus here in this appearance showed his disciples his hands and his feet. Why? What was on his hands and his feet at this point? Scars. And it was when they saw the scars that they knew it was really him. He was known by his scars. And so a question for us as we consider what it means for us to be sent into the world in the way that Jesus was sent is, are we willing to be known by our scars, by the evidence of our willingness to sacrifice ourselves for others? Jesus is the priest who walked through the door to suffer for our sake. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. We are sent into the world in the same way for others. Are we willing to be known by our scars? As the Father sent me, in the way the Father sent me into the world, I am sending you. And today, I want to ask um, our youth who went on a mission trip last week, if you would come on forward, and we're going to hear their testimony. If you guys want to come on forward. Last week, our youth gave up their, their spring break, their, their time off from school where they could have been having fun, relaxing, whatever it could be. They gave that up in order to be sent in the way of Jesus to go and minister to a group of people down in Kentucky. And then we've asked them to come and share a bit of their story today um, so that we consider what it means for us as we listen to their example, what it means for us to be sent in the way of Jesus. Shane, and I'm the youth ministry coordinator here at Broadway. Um, but don't be confused by the title. Um, I got to be the sidekick on this trip. Um, Stacy actually is the one who, uh, well, God put it all together. We were both kind of the sidekick on this trip, right? But <laughs> as far as logistics go, um, Stacy really handled everything, and so it was awesome, and I really appreciated that. Um, just to share a little bit about where we went, uh, we went down to uh, Jackson, Kentucky, um, which is in Breathitt County. Uh, they kind of associate themselves by county a little bit more down there. Um, it is the third lowest income county in the United States. Um, two of the neighboring counties uh, are also within the top six. And I think he said it was 33 or 36 of the top 100 poorest counties in the country are in eastern Kentucky. Uh, so we were in the foothills of Appalachia, which to northern Indiana people were mountains, so it was pretty nice. Um, but 
Um, yeah, just to any like stereotypical thought you have of what poor people live in the foothills of Appalachia from like movies or shows or whatever, like it's true and it's more um, because there's no caricature to it. There's humanity to it. Um, so just seeing like buildings that you wouldn't, we wouldn't let our pets live in these buildings. Um, and there's potentially people living in these buildings. Um, it's just a place of little to no hope. Um, lots of drugs, lots of alcohol, um, little to no jobs. Um, the few jobs that are available pay less than what they can get from the government. So that's the main source of income. Um, it's hard to track kind of any actual statistics or numbers in the area uh, because with government assistance, it kind of throws off um, the unemployment numbers. But the pastor at the church we were at uh, kind of guesstimated that about 40% of the people in the county don't work. And so it's just this, this oppressive cycle uh, that goes on. And the county we were in, that's number three in the country, it actually had its numbers boosted because they have like the regional hospital in their county. So the numbers were even higher than what they, they would have been. Um, so it was just very, very eye-opening. Um, it's not uncommon for parents there to encourage their kids to not do well in school, uh, to act out in school so that they can qualify for larger benefits. Just this sort of mindset. Um, but to be there and to work alongside the Happy Church uh, was just a privilege um, and an honor uh, to see what they do. And we went and we called it a service trip or a missions trip, but it's just their life every day. That's what they do. Um, and they all have given up things at home. The, the senior pastor raises funds in order to be able to be a pastor there. Uh, the church does not support him. Uh, they're dependent on groups coming and doing work, uh, people donating and giving. So it was just, it was a, a beautiful uh, experience to be able to work alongside them. Um, and I'll let, I'll let Stacy share some more. I'll share the depressing stuff and I'll let her share some of the, the good stuff as far as all that. Um, but I think some things that, that I would take away from that, um, number one is being able to work alongside these kids. Uh, there's four of them here. Uh, three of them do not attend, uh, their families don't attend Broadway, so it was Clay Bruce, uh, Joshua Schrock, and Cousin Ben Morton, who <laughs> he's officially known as now. Um, they went with us, but they're not here this morning. Um, but just being able to serve alongside them and see their hearts. Uh, when you dedicate your child to the Lord, like this is what you hope for. So it was it was neat to be able to experience that and see that. And I was, I was proud of all you guys while we were there. I mean, I still am, but it was extra in the moment, right? Um, but yeah, the other thing that I took away kind of personally, and I feel like a challenge to all of us, um, working alongside the, the staff, in particular, the assistant pastor, Jason, um, he has only lived there about a year. Um, and he ran a successful auto shop in Pennsylvania with his wife. Uh, life was good. And he brought his youth on a missions trip to the Love Church and, or the Happy Church. And that was five years ago, and God called him back. And so he traded his comfortable life for finding 50 acres on a hill, plopping a trailer on it, and trying to learn how to farm in the Appalachian foothills. 
and uh, just just hearing each of their unique stories and how they were called and what they gave up and how they went all in and what they're doing. Um, it can be kind of like intimidating and like you kind of go through it and you're like, God, what are you calling me to? And I, he he has already called us all to something. Um, I felt he called, he told me like, I haven't called you to leave the comfort of home yet. And he specifically said yet because he's funny like that, right? Uh, yet. You know, but what you are called to right now is no less worthy of going all in for. No less worthy. And so I think for all of us, and some of us, right, Marianne, who have given up a lot to be where we are and to follow the call, it may not seem as straightforward, which can actually, I think, make it more difficult. But what we are each called to is no less worthy of going all in for. So I will pass the mic on. Kids, if you just want to just say your name and just say something that God showed you or you learned or something that impacted you from the trip. I'm Karis, um, and when I was there, I thought it was amazing just to meet all the staff that was there, um, piggybacking off of what Shane said. Just we were able to learn their stories, and we ate a meal with them, which was super awesome, and just see their full obedience to God. And you didn't see, like, they came to Happy Church, and then they didn't stop there. They were continuing to go all the way with what God gave them. Uh, I'm KJ. Um, big thing that impacted me is uh, we led a kids' night, and I just saw, like, this thirst for love and this thirst for Jesus. And it really made me realize how privileged I was with two parents who love me and have taught me the love of Jesus. I'm Sam. Um, the thing that... I think affected me most is we took a lot of time um, just like resting and uh, just being contemplative and like the nature was so cool so we could just like walk outside and there was like a 200 foot hill right in front of us and um, it was just cool uh, and we I feel like I learned to to listen to what the Holy Spirit's telling me and to like be in tune to um, taking a rest and seeing what God has for me. I'm Jeremiah, and I really liked it because we broke a lot of stuff and fixed it then and made stuff. And I like the the culture about how they have so little, but they still have fun, and they're uh, full wiggedness, how they're just they're winging everything and fully trusting in God, and that's awesome. So I passed the mic earlier because I wasn't sure I could talk. So I'm going to try this because y'all know I cry a lot. But um, I saw God in, in these kids to see the incredible gifts at such a young age being used to love people. And not only are they using that to love people, they're learning so many lessons why they do it. And as a leader, as I step back, I learn so many lessons from them about what it means to give sacrificially, about what it means to use your gifts, what it means to, to try something and it not go well, and it's still okay because God is in it. And um, that's really my takeaway is just um, God teaches us through absolutely everybody and everything. So thank you for your prayers and your support. We greatly appreciate it. We appreciate our youth and the example you all set for us. We are grateful for you. Um, thank you to the, the leaders, too, for the way that you, you lead our youth. We're 
really grateful for you. I'm glad that I get to send my kids to a youth group where leaders take Jesus and discipleship serious for teenagers. So thank you. Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. The resurrection call to mission isn't, isn't a call for us to grit our teeth and just try harder. I loved what Sam said, that there's a place for, for rest and reflection. What is the Spirit calling me to do? It's not a call for us to feel guilty and ashamed because we're not doing enough, not suffering enough, not sacrificing enough. It's not a call to believe that some, merit, some work that we do somehow merits God's approval. It's not a call to seek out suffering in some way. It's not a call to some kind of anxious anxiety or anxious effort to try to make something happen and get more done. Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. The call to mission begins with the call to dependence on God. The Spirit of God, the same Spirit that hovered over the waters in Genesis chapter 1, that creative Spirit that brought all things into being, that breathed life into all things, that brings, breathed life into us, that same Spirit that anointed Jesus for His ministry, empowered Jesus to do the things that He was empowered to do, that same Spirit dwells in you. It's the same Spirit that equips you with your own unique calling. It's the same Spirit that is given to you so that you can receive gifts to serve others in your own unique way. Your own unique way of entering into the world as a servant, washing other people's feet, living in sacrificial love for other people. So this morning, as we think about the, the resurrection and what it means for us, one of the things is that it calls us to mission, to live our lives in service to others in the way that he served us.